Hi, I'm Gretchen Lynch, and welcome to Impact the Podcast, where we bring together some of entertainment's most creative minds to explore the themes and philosophies behind content creation. Today, we are in conversation with director Ron Howard and writer Akiva Goldsman, a duo who's the creative force behind some of the most iconic films, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, and The Da Vinci Code. What is the key to a successful creative collaboration? What wisdom have these two learned from each other over all these years? And what are the secrets behind their joint efforts to create these classic films? Today's sessions were recorded in conversation with Tyler Mitchell. A Beautiful Mind took home four Oscars in 2002, including Best Picture, and has been widely praised for helping destigmatize mental illness. Ron originally was not looking to take on another project at the time, but once Ron was exposed to Akiva's script, he knew this movie was going to truly be something important and special, and he had to take it on. This decision launched a friendship and a creative collaboration that extends to today, and has given us some of the greatest dramas of the past 20 years. Well, I first met Akiva at an Imagine Christmas party, uh, and he had been already writing A Beautiful Mind, uh, a project that I had known about, but I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, front and center in terms of the development. It was more Akiva working with uh, with Brian, uh, Brian Grazer, uh, and Karen Kehillo, who was then running our movie division, uh, and uh, so I'd, I'd been hearing about it. And, uh, and then finally at the Christmas party, I met Akiva, a name I had been seeing very, very frequently um, up there on, uh, you know, on silver screens, uh, you know, usually more than once a year uh, on something, uh, you know, pretty cool and pretty interesting. And I, uh, I oh, 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 God, it's Ron Howard. I should probably, oh, fuck, it's Ron Howard. Oh, shit. I, I, that was basically, that was my uh, soundtrack. And I think what came out of my mouth was, hi, you're Ron Howard, or something like that. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I, I ran home and thought about it. <laughs> the, uh, um, well, because that wasn't, that wasn't developed, I'd imagine, for something for, for me to direct. Br- Brian and I both, for sort of different reasons, had a, um, a a particular directive in mind, which was to, to, to find the right movie to make around the issue of mental health and mental illness. Uh, Gans and Mandel wrote a, a sort of a comedy drama about somebody, you know, fictional, totally fictional, somebody coping with bipolar. We never could quite get that solved, that movie never got made. We, we launched another one based on a true story. And as the, sto- as the true story continued to unfold, it turned very, very tragic, which was heartbreaking for us. Uh, and uh, um, because we had come to know the, the subject um, and uh, the tragedy was sort of, you know, rendered the, the movie, you know, uh, the opposite of inspirational. Um, and uh, Graydon Carter had actually talked uh, to Brian Grazer about uh, a beautiful mind because they were running, they were running a, a, a piece, you know, taken from Sylvia Nasser's book about John Nash, and that's how we got involved in in uh, in the book. When did you? When were your first conversations about it, Akiva? Well, so I mean, it's funny because this morning I realized that you know we're we're about to hit the twentieth anniversary, right? <laughs> 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 terribly old. 
older, of course, but still. <laughs> and, um, so handsome. <laughs> actually older. I mean, almost infinitely older. Um, but I uh, then was young. Her, and I was just trying to be a writer producer because I was a writer and I was really tired of being fired. So I thought that if I could become a producer, at least I could fire me. And I, um, which you have done, which I, I have, have done. I have known you as a producer. <laughs> fire me. I just need to listen to me better. So, um, I, um, you know, I tried to get it as a, producer but I was a, 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 a baby producer and I I had it for Warner Brothers um, and they didn't want to bid on it and uh, Brian uh, sold it to Universal and so um, I uh, I took my proverbial hat in hand to Brian I, and I had met Brian before so I had done a little sort of a couple of things here and there for Imagine, kind of, you know, read a script, pitched some ideas to talk on a couple of things, not Ron things, Brian things. And, and um, you know, and there that was sort of a period of time, at least in my experience with you guys, where you were both doing things together and, and apart. You know, you have this sort of, you, the autonomous business components and sort of the Venn diagram where you overlapped. And, and this sort of was on the Brian side. And, um, uh, and so when Brian got it, I... Um, I, I think the word is beg. I'm not sure, um, uh, but that's what happened. Um, and uh, and so we sort of started talking. And I had a bunch of ideas because uh, I have a lot of uh, mental health in my background, not particularly healthy mental health in my background, uh, not just my own, but uh, as Ron knows, the, the first group home for emotionally disturbed kids of a sort, which was a label that was used at the time, was in my house. So I grew up around it and then did it myself. So I was sort of in the business of trying to solve some of these issues creatively for myself. And there was this unbelievable biography, which was interestingly the perfect outside of a story because Sylvia interviewed John, but John wasn't really responsive. He and he and his wife allowed the story to be told, but there was very little in the book about John's inner life. Um, so this became an opportunity to kind of invent an inner life. And starting with Brian and with Karen, we began that process of, of turning it into, uh, you know, the screenplay, which I, I'm you know, the proudest of ever still. Um, um, you know, but, uh, you know, you always sort of hoped that imagine that maybe it would somehow go to wrong. But that was never necessarily the course of the object. Uh, and yet, fortunately, <laughs> this one did. I mean, as, as you know, as uh, I, I was continually hearing about it because it was a priority project for Imagine. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but, but, it, but uh, I was, had, was in the middle of doing back-to-back -back movies. Uh, and one of them was The Grinch. Uh, which was just massive and complicated and and took a long time. Uh, but when that when that movie concluded, the package that Brian had been trying to put together around a script that had made a huge breakthrough in a recent draft and suddenly was really a go movie if they could just you know just be put together. Uh, 
uh, that package fell apart. And, and Brian literally said, well, you know about Beautiful Mind. I said, yeah. I said, well, I, you know, we, we can make it. I love it. I, you know, I want to make it right away. Um, you know, I was still shooting the, the Grinch. And, and again, it, that was back-to-back movies already. So I was, I was really tired. But he said, but look at it. And just don't, you know, don't, don't dally because there's a lot of momentum around this. But if you're interested in it, you know, uh, it would be great. And, uh, um, and I, I, I read it and I was so tired, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 um, especially at that point in my life, it, 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 it offered, um, you know, creative opportunities. And I thought it was pretty remarkable and ingenious um, the way that it, um, it, it dealt with the, the mental illness and the possibilities of staging those scenes just were leaping to mind as I was reading it. And, um, and I asked Cheryl to read it because I had promised to take a break. Um, but she said, you've got to do it. This is, this is what you've been dreaming of doing. And I think one of the interesting things about it is that speaking for Brian and, and Akiva uh, and, and myself, very interesting that in for very different reasons somehow a beautiful mind was was personal for to all of us and it wasn't about us it wasn't about yeah lives we particularly lived but on some emotional intellectual level it sort of addressed questions and concerns that we had over things that we'd witnessed if not directly experienced and um and I, I think that um, both Akiva and I poured a lot of ourselves into the movie uh, in, in sort of different ways. I'm not sure that thematically we were even necessarily focused on exactly the same sort of, um, I think the central idea is yes, but the, but the, 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 the undercurrents and underpinnings of what the characters are going through. I think we were almost looking for different things. I think in this particular instance, that actually worked to the benefit of the movie. Um, and, and I think in other circumstances, that could be pretty disastrous. Uh, but uh, in, this, in this case, I think, I think the, you know, the project continued to become more and more dimensional. And Russell Crowe was a tremendous addition. He, he brought so much um, to, the, to, to that character and the exploration of that character. Although Ron and Akiva have had such vast and often different careers, working across so many genres and styles of filmmaking, what is at the core of their work is what unites them, the heart and emotions of a story. I don't know. I mean, I think um, it took me a long time I, to, you know, but I, I think I can now see what a Ron Howard movie is in the abstract. Like, I've, I've watched him long enough, um, and I think we were once at a, with, I think we were at a film festival in Venice or something, and you sort of distilled it down, Ron, to like an ordinary man in an extraordinary circumstance, or a, a, a circumstance that makes an ordinary man extraordinary. You know, and I, I, over time, I can sort of see that um, I, I can sort of tell his movies and and, I, and probably my scripts, but for me, you know, these story the 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 ability to storytell is really 
timely. It has to speak to the things that you are feeling at the time. I think if you were telling the same story over and over again, or even the same genre, then you run the risk of uh, stalling out. I mean, I think making a lot of different genres, you run the risk of falling flat on your face more often. Um, yeah. But you also, but you, but you do keep getting up there and trying a different thing, and and then when you land it, it can really land. And um, I just think we both happen to have some version of that gear, which is well, what are we feeling about this if we put it that way and do it today? I I, I agree. I I, I think that uh, for I mean for me, you know. Part, Part of this was the fact that I grew up on on you know a couple of television shows where you know your job was to basically show up at the factory, which is what being on a television show was like in in, in those days, and and more or less um, deliver that same thing that made the show a top ten show last week again, and uh, and that's what the writer's job was as well. And as a director, I just loved all kinds of stories. Oh, and and um, and once I realized I was going to have a career, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't I wasn't typecast. I also have always been terrified of 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 falling back on on uh, on a bag of tricks. Now, some of that's unavoidable because you know you're going to approach certain emotional ideas in similar ways, and it's just kind of inevitable. And that is, in a way, I suppose, an artist putting a stamp on a on a subject. But but. I've, I've, I've never wanted to be certain that the approach I was taking was going to work because it worked this way the last time. I've always wanted to be a little bit on a high wire, uh, and and to be trying to figure it out with collaborators. I don't like being on that wire alone, uh, and I love the collaboration. And I've had a few great collaborations. With writers and and Akiva is you know front and center in that in that in that very short list, uh, and um, and that's that's pretty thrilling for me to talk. The thing about Akiva, I was thinking a little bit about a beautiful mind, but also this applies to the to the other projects that we've that we've done, and probably everything that Akiva writes. And and by the way, he's a very active producer creatively. I mean, he's really in there, hands on. Uh, and 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 he's an excellent director as well. But I think what made Beautiful Mind really work as a screenplay, and I think it's this thing that that Akiva really brings to every every party is um, um, it, it's in the it's in the movie Beautiful Mind where the, the Jennifer Connelly character talks about mind and heart. And I think you know Akiva is is all intellect and all throbbing heart and and emotion on a sleeve, and he's lived his whole life having to reconcile these two, and um, and it's and it's uh, it's rare uh, because it's you know on a scale of one to ten they're both kind of you know <laughs> nine to ten ish uh, in intensity uh, and uh, and and so. I think with beautiful mind it's what's great is he you know he had the 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 uh, the intellectual connection to the subject he, he talked about the fact that his you know his parents were psychiatrists and 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 he'd grown up in that world and known a lot of a lot of people who'd gone through you know all kinds of of uh of of, of illnesses and struggles so he had that but but also 
he loves movies. And he kind of made it into a supernatural thriller. Uh, and he genrefied it in a way. And so here you have a guy who can write, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the closing argument for uh, Time to Kill, and it's like one of the great speeches, uh, but he can also, he's delighted to work on Lost in Space, or he can, uh, you know, or, and, and, uh, uh, or a horror film, or, you know, and he gets it. He gets it all. So this gets back to understanding more than one genre, but I think it comes from a place of real genuine kind of excitement. And I, I feel the same way as a director. I, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily think these things up, but I can identify them, interpret them, and have a blast staging, shooting, and editing. I think, you know, my experience with Ron changed everything about how I do my job. Um, I mean, anytime I do anything slightly decent as a director, it's because I've stood on set with him for so many days. Um, but just as a collaborator, right, where, where you know, because I'm a, you know, I, I could maybe direct my way out of a paperback on a good day, maybe, but the other jobs I can do well enough. And I do them well enough and I do them differently because of the time I spent with Ron. And I have been able to, because I've worked with far more directors probably than Ron has because it, it, director producers are harder for directors potentially than writer producers or just producers. So Ron's, Ron's wisdom has been imparted to them through me far more times than he will ever know because, you know, I wanted desperately to be part of a beautiful one and I had written it and Ron and I had been working on it for a while. We developed it and Ron started to guide the development um, and I remember one of the things he said to me uh, years later is he said, you know, it's always no first with you. No, then give me, then I'll give you a second and you'll say, okay, I'll try it. And he, and, and this comes from a beautiful mind where there's this scene where Jennifer Connelly is proposed to um, by uh, Russell Crowe. And I was just sure it was not a writable scene. I was like, no, can't be done. Nope. That scene won't write. That scene won't write. And I, he, and Rob was like, okay. And then I went home and he was like, oh, fuck, he really wants me to do it. Okay, I'll try. And it's obviously for me, one of the, for me, one of the better scenes in the movie. And this to me was this thing that Ron could do where he would sort of encourage you to do this kind of work where he sort of left you on your own to fuck it up or not, but continued to tell you what he thought would be the right move. And it allowed you the space to succeed or fail. And I we got to the point where we were about to make the movie and I wanted to be on set of the movie. And Ron was like, well, I'm not sure. And I said, well, let me try. Let me come for a week. And I never went home. I spent each week kind of going, can I stay for another week? Um, and, and here's what I learned. And, and this is the, the point of my story. Is I finally looked at him at one day because he was so decent and so kind. And I said, where's the other shoe? What, what, when's it fall? What's the other shoe? And Ron said, well, there kind of is no other shoe. And it's true that he creates an environment which is just decent and collaborative. Like this idea that actually you have to be heard and you have to listen in order to be creative in a collaborative universe. And I don't, look, there are people who do it the other way, I'm sure, and God bless them, but they never really last very long. 
the people who really know how to foster creative communities to do this oxymoronic thing, which is collaborative art, right? Those two words shouldn't go together, right? But that's what this is, collaborative art. And, you know, somehow, whatever you learned to get you to that point, you bring that to the movie set and to the movie development and to the movie cutting and to the whole fucking experience of sitting around re sitting around reading cards with you over beer after a preview is as fun as making the movie because you're not scared. So much of the movie business is hierarchical and fear-based. And this is the opposite. So I run to Ron, I, I used to say this, I had to go back to, I had to spend a year on a Ron Howard set after making Mr. and Mrs. Smith, because I had lost my mind, because the, it was so dysfunctional. And that so much of the movie business is that. So besides being as gifted as he is as a filmmaker, he's a gifted film creator in terms of environmental creation, creative, fostering of creation. It's very, 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 very unique. I probably know more how unique it is than you do because I've seen a lot more directors not behave that way. By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Smith turns out to be a really wonderful movie, which shows right. you there are no real rules. Sure. It's back to the Bill Goldman thing, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, uh, uh, but, but uh, thank you. Thank you, Akiva. You know, I grew up in, a, in an environment that was sort of about that kind of give and take and, and, and best idea, you know, wins. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I really, I really enjoy the, the excitement around that. Collaboration is about exploring different possibilities for ideas, debating opinions, and explaining rationales and feelings. The energy of collaboration and the ideas that stem from it are contagious. And perhaps the most important thing in business, which is a basic fundamental for collaboration, is being able to recognize and believe that other ideas may be better than your own and being able to implement them in an effective way. You know, there's this funny thing, which I think about, I mostly think about it with actors, right? Which is, how do you hold to the idea of a thing? And I mean, like wanting to become an actor and auditioning and falling down, and auditioning and falling down. And how do you hold to the idea that you really can do this and it's not that different from writing um in that you know i have rejection notes from every magazine you've ever read and they're really elegant they used to be hand typed and they were just different ways of telling me to fuck off um but um you know so how do you tell yourself to keep going so part of what happens is you create this balance in your mind between flexibility and rigidity right i am i know enough to be able to do this now, can I hear enough to change what I'm doing and still believe I know enough to do it, right? So that's that funny thing. And the younger you are as a writer, the more stuff you do, right? So the only trick you're going to have is really be open to hearing, the, knowing there are better ideas out there, knowing empirically, unless you are this one of a kind, which I am not, that somebody has a better answer to something. Maybe not everything, but probably. So how much of that better answer can you take on and combine it with your good answer to make an exponentially even better answer? And that is, weirdly, it goes back to the other quality I was talking about, at least for me, which is 
Creative collaboration can either be a one-upsmanship, which is you didn't know it as good as I do, so do it this way, right? Which is sort of tyrannical. Or, huh, what do you think of this? Because I think this might do something that that isn't. Or let's try that. And if you can put yourself in a frame of trusting a person, really a lot of this stuff does come down to the collaboration part of the collaborative art. Trust matters, right? If you can trust the person and know that they're seeing a thing that they want, even though you don't see it, then in a funny way, it's no different than climbing into a character whose dialogue you're writing, right? So if I'm writing John Nash, I'm just writing the way my head and heart do. If I'm writing the scene Ron wants, I'm just writing as Ron. I've just climbed into this character of Ron Howard. I'm thinking about what he wants. I mean, I, you know, these, there's a whole series of these little Cinderella Man scenes that I wrote in like three days that I sent Ron a script. I've been spending all my time. He always makes me write fucking stuff I don't know anything about. I mean, intellectual math is hard for me, religion, boxing. I hate boxing. But so, you know, um, but so uh, I'm sitting there for days trying to transcribe these fights. And by the way, the last writer's done a good job and I'm still doing it. And it's all, you know, and I send it back to him all like, you know, Brian, and, and he's like, you know, you could write a couple more characters. I mean, he said more nicely than that, but the message was you could write a couple more character scenes. And I was like, it doesn't need it. There is no room. And, and I took, and I said, okay, so what is he, okay, he, what does he want? He wants the kids stealing the salami and, being told to it because that's what you'd want if you were Ron in that moment. I was like, then you're like, oh, I guess I want it too. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of just it, all these things are exercises in wearing other skins. It's just kind of a, a, a secret way around a note, but you have to like and care about the idea of the person enough to actually kind of become them, <laughs> right? Because you don't really feel like it's necessary, but you trust that they do. So get inside right. their head and write it from there. That's really interesting. The one thing I just want to to say on on top of that is it relates specifically to Akiva, but 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 really any excellent, successful, long term achiever who's who's focusing primarily on writing, what what Akiva's describing can dangerously sound like abject compliance, and that's never what it is. So there is this willingness and openness, which makes. Akiva, a great collaborator, it makes Gans and Mandel, who I worked with many times, and in his in his own way, Peter Morgan is a fantastic collaborator. You know, as uh, you know, despite his the, the kind of walls that he will initially put up, as you know, as well. All that said, that there would in order to have that relationship, you actually do have to believe the person when they when they say, "I really don't buy this." Uh, here's why I think it's a problem um, that, you know, you respect it and that there is a, there is a point where they, you know, they just don't, they just don't believe in it. Now, you know, in the, in the trenches, the fact that somebody's willing to take a shot and you know, it's an honest shot. It's like, again, it is like an actor back to Russell Crowe uh, who I was so impressed with because he's so single-minded and he's very creative and 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 would would tell you immediately if he disagreed with an idea, but he would always take a shot, and he was never sandbagging it. I never felt like he was throwing away my idea. You know, he was giving it an honest shot. And as a director, I mean, who that's really all you can ask 
of your key collaborators, whether that's the actor, certainly the writer, composer, cinematographer, is to, to uh, try to understand what it is you're going for or what you think you're seeing and engage with that and, and, and help you understand why it doesn't work, if it doesn't. If it doesn't. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I have another, another sort of a, go, a, a way of, of, of approaching these things as, as well as a director, which I call, I sort of just call it the six of one rule, meaning if, if I understand what I, I believe the objectives of the scenes are, and I think that's almost always the way to get through a creative argument, is if you can, if you can begin to agree on what it is the scene can, is supposed to accomplish, you might discover you know, what else it, it could possibly achieve, which is great. That gets so exciting when you, when you uncover those things. Uh, or why, why, you know, why the objectives are wrongheaded, there's something else you could go for, all of those things. But if you can agree on them, and, and then as a director, if somebody makes a suggestion, one of your key collaborators, and it's different from what you had in mind, but it, it achieves the objective, I want to always use that because it builds this kind of bridge and they do put their stamp on it. And there's something intrinsically more organic um, about them owning the idea, whether they're writing it, whether they're composing it and, and conducting it or playing it, whether they're acting it or whether they're shooting it, they understand something. And I want, I want that X factor that thing that kind of can't be explained. I want that in the movie uh, as well. And I can tell you that one of the messages that I have now carried out into the world uh, is that. So I deal with, when it comes to dialogue, I, you know, cause I do some TV and there, there's a history in television of saying the words exactly as they're written. And often, you know, the people on the set don't feel comfortable changing them. And, so I have quoted Ron endlessly, and I say, if it's six of one, half dozen of the other, your words or their words, let it be theirs, they'll do it better. And it's just true, right? That, and that's, again, that's the spirit of collaboration. You have to actually be willing to learn while doing. And this is this other thing that Ron just said, which I think I worry a lot of people don't know which is you're not supposed to know. The movie's never going to be what you plan. Or as my friend Ron Howard always says, the reason to direct is the compromises are your compromises. Like fundamentally, we're laying out the blueprint for a, it's a dance. It's a dance with no rehearsal, or a little teeny bit of rehearsal. And so the idea that you don't know is liberating. If you go in thinking you're supposed to know, that doesn't mean you're not supposed to be prepared. You're supposed to know everything you can know. But part of that is knowing you can't know everything. And the happy surprises that come from realizing there's learning available to you every second of the process, be it the writing of it, the collaborating over the writing of it, the shooting of it, the cutting of it, the scoring of it, that's actually what keeps it alive and dynamic. Um, unless you are one of three people who can imagine the whole thing and then, you know, you should go do that and just, you know, do it by yourself or write it off. I do want to say one thing, um, because I assume there are a lot of people 
who are thinking about writing or 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 do or, or are writers, you know, talk about my relationship with Akiva and that collaboration. Um, I'll tell you, Akiva, you know, he he didn't. There was it wasn't a question of how many steps to get this to a shooting script or something. You know, I mean. It was it, 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 that kind of collaboration comes out of a, from a kind of a you know all in mentality. Uh, I mean, you can't do that in development endlessly, but you know once you really know you're making the project, there's nothing more exciting for me than to have that sort of full on collaboration. And I actually described that I've, I always had it with Gans and Mandel as well. Um, you know, and, and we mentioned about Peter Peter Morgan again on 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 movies and a couple, and other writers were were. You know, I've, I've been able to be from start to finish at that kind of collaboration, and it really means a lot to me. And Vanessa Taylor, um, you know, really came through in the same kind of way. But I remember describing to her what it was to do Beautiful Mind and, you know, or Da Vinci Code and how hard it was to solve and how challenging it was. But to, you know, to, to be in that kind of, that kind of collaboration, um, you know, they're just among my very favorite uh, experiences, and I've had a number of them with Akiva, and and uh, and, and more to come. We're, we're we're counting on. Making a film is one of the most collaborative things you can do, and it's amazing how so many people's ideas and visions come together into this melting pot, guided and realized by the director, to become something visually tangible for viewers as a film. Thinking about this tapestry of contributions that make a movie. Let's go to the film Cinderella Man and start by talking about a collaborator who was instrumental in that project, actor Russell Crowe. Well, he's he's extremely talented. He's an extremely talented guy, and uh, uh, and uh, and he has good taste, um, and uh, you know, and his instincts are good, and so all, you know, all all, and then you have a success as sort of unique and remarkable as Beautiful Mind. Uh, you know, you just. You don't. You don't even have to. You don't have to analyze it very much. Also, you know, he was so suited to play Jim Braddock and was so desperate to do it. Uh, that was not a project that I developed. It was. A, it was a a screenplay that that uh, that came to me really through Russell. Um, and we. Uh, but you know, the, the 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 true story was pretty undeniable. Uh, if incredibly traditional. <laughs> I'll tell a story here in one second. But the the character scenes were, you know, were, were just, they, you know, they weren't fleshed out in, in the way that I felt a movie like this needed to be to, uh, um, to, to really resonate with, uh, with audiences. And uh, so, you know, I recruited Akiva. Russell was thrilled for Akiva to, to join back in. And, and uh, um, you know, and, and it, it, it really, you know, it wound, it wound up being a movie I was very proud of, but I was always concerned about it. And er, fairly early on, I was now committed to the movie. Akiva was participating. I don't know if Akiva, if you remember this, but I began doing research, which is what I, I, I often do. I start looking at boxing movies and I was looking at documentary footage. And I said, put together a reel of everything that you can find that's ever been done in the movie, silent era, uh, uh, newsreel footage. I just want to see a lot of boxing matches, whether they were staged for the movies or they were, or they were, you know, they were um, photographed. Um, and uh, in, 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 they really happened. And, uh, and one of them was a Popeye cartoon where Popeye has to, he's a down and out, 
he needs the money. Uh, olive oil starving. Uh, he's got to fight uh, Pluto, and and uh, and 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 uh, it was our plot. It was our plot <laughs> down to olive oil, like saying lines of dialogue that we actually had in the script. Don't do it, Popeye. Whatever. I don't want you to. Buy. I mean, it was. It was our art. It was a complete version. It was a three and a half minute version of our movie. I thought, oh my God, this 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 narrative, this storyline was a was worthy of satire in 1938. <laughs> 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 and what are we doing? Uh, but we uh, thank thanks to the you know the the, the character work and uh, you know and the and the tremendous actors you know. You know Renee and Paul Giamatti and 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 uh, and then and Russell of course you know and and it was uh, something I was very proud of. But Akiva had a lot a lot of hard work. He made it sound like he just skipped the boxing and did a few character scenes. But uh, there was uh, there was plenty of uh, you know research and thought and and again trying to trying to um, make it um, um, land with contemporary audiences in a way that was that was sort of psychologically and emotionally relevant and yet be true to that period. Because to me, that was the other value was it was an opportunity to deal with the depression, to show people with white faces experiencing that level of poverty. Um, and, uh, and I was hoping therefore to open some hearts and minds and, and, and some subconscious level build a bit of, a, of a, uh, an awareness, heighten people's awareness as to what poverty really means to people. And it remains probably weirdly, critically, our most admired collaboration, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is funny, which is um, people love that movie. Three of them have seen it, but the three who have seen it really dig it. And they write about it. They do. <laughs> they do. They do. I mean, the thing you said you hated boxing. Uh, the other sports movie I did was is, uh, is Rush, which was an original script written by Peter Morgan. And he had couldn't care less about car races. He kept saying, "Can't you just get some, I don't know, stock footage or something?" I said, "Well, no, we're going to have to deliver on the promise of the races." Uh, and uh, you know, and and Akiva kept saying, "I don't know, can't it just be a montage, a couple of punches?" Also, I think it's worth noting there's something very interesting in um, Ron's collaboration with Sal Tatino, who shot that movie. That movie is, um, and this is either inside baseball or not, some movies, many movies and shows are often shot with things that are called wild walls. So that, you know, pieces of stage is moved out so that camera, there's room for the camera. And Sal shot that movie in practical space. You know, it, it had to accommodate him and the camera. It's, it's sort of, the, if you think about what, Spielberg did at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. It's the idea that a cameraman is present, right? And there's sort of the relationship between physical space feels very authentic. So even if you're not doing that consciously, as Spielberg was, who was sort of fabricating almost a, a literally a cameraman shooting it, there's this notion of actual practical space. The camera exists in rooms and you know i mean it's not that everything is right next to itself the way it seems to be many things were and there was a house we used and, you know um and it gives the movie a very different cinematic style and you talk about rush Ron, where you have yet another you know, like you are also you know one talks about how 
you you know you genre hop or I genre hop, you also hop stylistically in ways that are really interesting because obviously you know coming from the period that is sort of the the inception of your work you you're one could say you're a classicist and yet at the same time sometimes you do these very interesting very modern no one has seen the missing but if you do you'll see a very different style of visual storytelling um you know and that's another way where because uh, I am not particularly visual, so I just watch Ron do it. Um, and that's sort of extraordinarily interesting because um, different styles of camera, different cinematic language is really camera language. Um, and Ron is right there in that. Some directors are. God knows when I foray into directing, I'm not. I'm like, just make it feel cramped. Like, Ron is in there at the beginning of every day, shot listing the day in the way that I believe all directors should because now I've been trained, but many directors don't. You know, he's, he understands, and therefore everybody else understands what the day's supposed to look like. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, more often it does than not. But that there's again this kind of like, okay, I am going to make it with my first AD and my cinematographer. Now, anybody who wants it's going to happen. And that's the guidebook for today. In, it doesn't tell you how the meal is going to be eaten. It doesn't tell you how it's going to be served, but it's going to tell you what's, what's on the menu. And that is also an extraordinary way for people to come together because everybody on a movie set is doing a job and they want to know how, how far are they along in their job? Are they keeping up? Are they moving at the right pace? Are they, and simple bits of here is what your life should look like today from a professional standpoint. Because remember, every day is different. Ron and Akiva's third collaboration together was tackling the best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code. How does adapting something so revered affect the process? Well, Akiva is, is, is uh, I think, is, you know, look, he's, he's written original screenplays that are, that, that are fantastic and successful, but he's great at adaptation because um, he, uh, um, again, there's that, there's that range uh, creative range, but, and, and, but he's, but he's a real, he loves story. And so if he, if, when he reads something, he's, he's like a kid in a candy store. I mean, he's excited. And I think he takes, he gets so engaged with the, the book he's reading that he immediately seems to understand how to build around the best bits. Because unfortunately, I mean, unless you're doing a long form event series now, uh, which is a really promising possibility to do more or less unabridged adaptations of of of, of books. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to collapse it down to two hours or or in something, uh, it's uh, you know you're going to make a lot of decisions. And Akiva just sort of intuitively knows how to to build on that. And then he has the creativity and the and the sort of the um, courage, creative courage, to throw stuff away. Um, and 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 find a new way in uh, that's more cinematic, and um, because he he understands storytelling from more than one direction, and and so the I think the um, I, I I know so many people um, who basically just said Da Vinci Code, interesting, really interesting, unadaptable, um, but Akiva 
uh, I think you thought about it a little bit long and hard, I, 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 as I recall. I think I'm, I might have had to, to, uh, to beg you. Uh, uh, as adventures in movie making go, it's probably, they, they probably will never exist like that again. I mean, yeah. we had, I mean, we just had the best time. Um, and, uh, you know, and Hanks is terrific. Ron, Ron knows that better than I do. And, you know, it was, again, kind of like, you know, uh, as Will Smith famously says, my dad's got a barn, let's put on a show. Like, it was that, you know? Um, I think that Da Vinci Code, um, you know, is will always be a challenging adaptation. Um, and, uh, you know, and yet, now speaking of how the world's probably financially the most successful, certainly, of, of yeah. our collaborations, you know? And, um, and there, by the way, for me personally, left to my own devices, in retrospect, I push it even further from the book, you know? Um, and I think that, but, I, you know, I also say that I come from a time where you could get away with that a little bit more. Like, you know, the world is slightly different now. That's There's true. some, you know, there, it's a transgression now to deviate from source. Um, you know, I mean, and you think about, you know, there's some of the collateral conversations around a beautiful mind or, hurricane or you know there were all these sort of um these ideas of fictional and non-fictional and you know anytime you adapt a life or a book it will be different from the life or the book it has to be different it's a different language it's a different grammar so unless you're willing to translate it as much as possible rather than displace it and you're going to leave somebody wanting, I think. Um, uh, and I think folks get a little confused about that and then it sort of turns into some version of you've broken a beloved thing. And these days, everybody feels like you've broken a beloved thing very fast and they feel it with each other and then it seems around the internet and then you hide under your desk for at least a year. Speaking of, 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 uh, of treading in those kind of, uh, on that kind of ground, a hallowed kind of ground, uh, you and I haven't, we haven't worked together on TV yet. We will someday, I'm sure. Uh, but you have uh, recently, and it's Star Trek. Uh, and so, what? What is? What? What have you? What in that regard? I mean, I'm not just talking about you know fan critiques and Reddit, um, you know, uh, uh, entries. But what? What are you finding about 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 writing that? And and how does that compare to you know? The movies that we're used to making together. Well, I, you know, I think, and you knew this long before I did, there's something quite appealing about the ongoing concern of a television show, right? Like it's, you spend more time making than getting ready to make, which is clearly the opposite in the movies, right? Like, you know, certainly which we started the writer, the preparation is going on for years before. So there's something really seductive for me about that. Um, uh, you know me, Ron. I I love Star Trek as much as your wife. I mean, I you know, I, it's for me. It is. Uh, He's not joking. My wife Cheryl is a huge Trekkie. I kind of <laughs> I kind of write them for her, um, and um, I uh, you know my first Star Trek convention was nineteen seventy four. It's just sad, um, and yet lovely. So, I think that this, in, in, as it pertains to this, I think two things. One is 
boy, this long form thing is really interesting. Like, you know, I think about Da Vinci Code and if we had made it in 10 hours, maybe, you know, maybe not beautiful mind. Like there are certain things that are, I agree. Ask, right? They have to end. They have to turn. Right. They have to have. Right. It's the it's it's the containment and the inversion. Right. By the way, I think similarly Cinderella Man, but ooh, all those Dan Brown ones. Right. Like you could yeah. just keep going. You're making it now as a TV show. Right. Um, and when it comes to Star Trek in particular, I, we've just made a bunch of choices which are don't. It has to be equally inviting for my wife who doesn't like star trek as it is for your wife who does mm -hmm. so that fundamentally you can't use tropes or easter eggs to push the storytelling forward the storytelling has to be dramatically intact to the novice but if you are a veteran you get a different level of delight mm -hmm. and that's been sort of you know our guiding force um and it's super fun, man. It's, you know, it's Patrick Stewart. He's lovely. Throughout this conversation today, we've gotten an inside look at how Ron and Akiva are able to collaborate. And also, we've gotten to relive some fantastic memories with them. My biggest takeaway from our talk is in part how much respect and trust these men have for each other, but also how cognizant they are of their strengths, and more importantly, what each other's strengths are, or what we like to call their superpowers. Well, we touched on it. I do think that it's a, um, you know, aside from being a talented guy who's dedicated himself to this, and we talked earlier about getting rejections from magazines and short stories, and, you know, and for a while he thought about, you know, being a novelist, but, but uh, um, I think it is this capacity to, to think about a subject on, a, on an analytical, intellectual level, even an engineering level from a narrative standpoint, which is something that he takes real pleasure in, mm -hmm. thinking about construction. He doesn't feel limited by that. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and yet also uh, working from a very spontaneous and emotional place as well. And it, it almost, it's interesting, he, it, it will shift for him. So, a eureka idea might come from thinking in that more analytical engineer-like way at the, at the story and the structure. And that might lead to something very exciting that's a breakthrough. Or it might be just that he can't even articulate it. He just feels it. And he knows this. there's, a, there's an opportunity for the character to experience a certain thing in a certain way or for somebody to express something in a certain way. And it's... Uh, it has nothing to do but, you know, a, a lightning bolt of creative inspiration for him. And then, you know, so you you sort of add this real appreciation for, for all kinds of stories. And that doesn't just mean that as an artist, there's flexibility there or, or range. It also means that you've thought about storytelling on a lot of different levels and, and stories that operate and function in different ways and need and, and, and speak to audiences in different ways. And, you know, you can borrow, you can borrow from one genre, one, you know, kind of um, uh, audience promise, uh, like a means of communication with the audience. Uh, 
and you can slip it into a, another story that's operating on a different set of principles with a different sort of relationship and promise with the audience. And if you're clever about it, like he was in, in making a, a Beautiful Mind, a story that meant to destigmatize mental illness and look at a, you know, a, a true mental health story, uh, to, to apply genre elements to it and, and make it cohesive. It became something very original, very accessible and, and exciting for audiences and it made it feel fresh and it carried, um, you know, it carried its ideas and themes maybe more deeply than had it been a straightforward, you know, sort of medical study. First, I would just like that to be my reel. So I, I just want that, just that clip, please. I, it could, there is there a YouTube channel because I feel better about myself than I have say ever. Um, very kind of you. Thank you, Ron. Um, I think you know what's interesting uh, about Ron and is you know first this thing that I said, which is to create the environments for uh, creative evolution or creative revelation, but specifically when you're in the trench with Ron, there are two things that I admire. And uh, one of them is intellectual, one of them is emotional, interestingly enough. He can see the heart of the scene on the page, in the room, wherever it exists, he trains his eye on it so that this ability that he was talking about sounds like it should be self-evident. Is it six of one, half dozen of another? But that's the hardest question you can ever ask yourself. Is it okay if it's different? As a creator, how do you know? Like, you're there, you're standing on tiptoes, and now suddenly the music changed? Is it okay to dance this way instead of that? And for me, the most profound example of this is in A Beautiful Mind, where there's a scene where... Russell and Jenny are playing John and Alicia Nash um, after he's started to recover and then started to slip. And she's not sure if he's slipping or not. And there's this moment where it's sort of a question of whether garbage men are real or a hallucination. Uh, and uh, I, Russell started playing the scene lightly. It was written as a very kind of like... Oh, oh, this is a shrine in my day. And I mean, nobody was Jewish but me, but still, you know, it was a lot of, you know, uh, deep uh, hand wringing. And uh, Russell played it lightly. And I literally was like, it's so much. I mean, I have to say it to Ron. I'm, I'm terrified, not my place, and terrified to say it to Russell. So just, and he's like, let it breathe. Watch it. Let's see. But it's supposed to be the other. But let's see. It's so much better this way. It's the way it's in the movie. It's not maudlin. It's light. It's funny. The, the humor, the lightness creates the poignancy. And this leads me to the second quality of Ron's that when you are in the trenches with him makes it worthwhile. Ron has a sense of play. And he brings that to the work. So we talk a lot about creative collaboration. Well, creative is a, it's a big word and it means 
You have to make, and making has to be joyous. Yes, you can make an agony, but who goes back again and again, right? We don't make a bunch of movies together because we don't like doing it, right? Like there's there's there, there's play, and and I, I I one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with any human being is whether or not it's okay to shoot over a shoulder of a hallucination. Can you shoot over the shoulder of a hallucination? Is it? Oh my God, it's a non-conversation that could not have been more delightful. And we both were really trying to figure it out. And that idea of little kids in the sandbox building the castle, and what if we don't shit that fell? And what that is the joy of making things. Um and and he he does that. He does it. In the morning when he gets there, he does it on night shoots, which he likes, which no reasonable person should like. He has a song about pie that he and his brother Clint used to sing, that he will sing on a night shoot and you can't help but laugh. He, uh, he makes the whole experience one that you want to return to. Um, you know, it's not, you can't say that for many things in life. And that's a superpower. Ask his kids. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Impact the Podcast on creative collaboration with Ron Howard and Akiva Goldsman. And don't forget to follow at Impact Imagine on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date. We'd like to thank our Impact speakers for their time, wisdom, and supporting the creative community. We would also like to thank Impact's founders, Brian Grazer, Ron Howard, and Tyler Mitchell for making this all possible. Until next time, I'm Gretchen Lynch, and have a great day.